We miss the, uh, the accompaniment sometimes, but uh, God is faithful. And it's good to just to hear his voice and to hear our voices sing on to him. So we're going to continue in uh, the book of 1 John. And this message, actually, uh, as I've looked towards the end of the um, chapter here, uh, I didn't want to bite it all off on one. So this is basically a, a shorter message, but it's an important one for us to know because it's about our relationship and our, our security in God. And, and many times uh, people ask me, well, why, you know, do you preach you know, eternal security, and I always tell them our security is as confident as we are in, in God and his word. See, if we doubt God, if we doubt his word, uh, we're going to doubt many times our walk and our, our security in him. And so this really talks about the certainty of God's witness. And as we talk about uh, a witness, a witness is somebody that has seen something or testifies of something. So uh, if we watch court TV or something like that, we'll see somebody that gives up, uh, gets up on the stand and they give a testimony of what has happened, of what has transpired, of what the facts are. And what John is saying here is that God himself is giving a testimony of who the Son of God is. And so there's a couple verses in here as we talk about things that talk about we making God a liar, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But we really need to identify who Jesus, the Son of God, is. And do we believe that he is who the Bible says that he is? And so as we look at this, we, we, we want to see that he's not this, this Gnostic phantom. Remember, John is dealing with Gnosticism who was sort of penetrated, saying God was not really in flesh. God cannot die. He could not go to the cross. Uh, we could not touch him or see him. And so John, when he opened up the epistle, said that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we have touched, that which we have dealt with, is real. And so he's telling us this here, that Jesus, who is, is, is amongst us as a person, fully God, yet fully man, and he's not someone who is so holy that he didn't have anything to do with the world. And that's sort of what Gnosticism would teach us. So uh, he's returning to this theme a little later in, in 1 John, telling us about this historical foundation for a trust in Jesus Christ, a trust in who he is and who he claims to be. And so in 1 John 1-3, through 3, um, it says, That which we have heard and looked upon and handled. It was real stuff, real people, real things that, that John was talking about. This was a real event, and, and it was people that were with him, that, that spoke with him and talked with him and touched him and hugged him and, and held him, or, or whom Jesus had touched and healed. He was somebody that was real. And so he talks about this water and the blood. And so I want to spend a little time on that because it's, it's an important thing as we look at this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. We would say that's a trinity. That's a reference to the trinity. The Father, Jesus being the Word, and the Spirit. We would say. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. 
So when we talk about this water and this blood, well, what does this mean as, as we're looking at this? And so there are some differing opinions of different commentators on, on what this might um, mean or believe. And so uh, I'm going to tell you what, what they all believe and it's sort of where I sort of land on this. But some believe that water speaks of baptism and blood speaks of receiving communion. We're going to be doing the Lord's table here today. We, we would think of that sometimes as the, the water and the blood. So that uh, baptism and communion, the two sacraments that evangelical churches hold uh, so dear. Augustine believed that the water and the blood describe the water and the blood which flowed from Jesus' side upon the cross. And so when we read about that in, in John 19, we see that there was water and blood that came out there about the sacrifice that Jesus had made. Others believe that the water and the blood spoke of being born of the waters of the womb so that he was fully man. So we know that when a child is born that there's a, a fluid in the, in the womb, that water that is in the womb. Some believe that and that the blood would speak of his death so that he was born a man and that he died as a man. So we have those three. And John would sort of say this, Jesus was born like a man and died like a man. He was completely human, not some super spiritual being who had no real contact with the material world. And so that's where they sort of believe is that those things. And I want to say whatever metaphor you can put to it, I think that they all can be significant in how we look at things. The oldest recorded uh, Christian understanding of this passage that we would read was from a Tertullian, and meant that the, it was the water of Jesus' baptism and the blood of the crucifixion. That was the oldest teaching that uh, at least historians have been able to find um, in, in the scriptures, which I think is very appropriate. Uh, because when Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized into repentance for his own sins, like we are, for he had no sin, right? He had no sin, but he was baptized. Why was he baptized? Because he wanted to completely identify with sinful humanity. He wanted to set us an example. He wanted us to show the pattern of what we should do. Jesus died on the cross, and he didn't die because he had to, because the scriptures say death had no power over him. Right? So we can look at his death and the blood that was shed there, but he laid down his life to identify again with sinful humanity, with you and I, and to save us from our sin. He was without sin, became sin for us, that perfect sacrifice. And so in our modern age, in our modern times, and probably ever since the time of Christ, we have ways of really trying to uh, avoid the offense of the cross, because the cross is offensive to people. When we think about blood being shed, when we think about death, when we think about our Savior going there and being nailed and, and beaten and, and placed on this cross to die, it becomes offensive. So some will just deny that Jesus was God, the Gnostics. They said that wasn't that couldn't really be God. You know, maybe they had the spirit, but it wasn't really God because he couldn't do it. So they deny that Jesus was God at all. They think of him, maybe uh, some faiths think of him as a noble martyr. He gave his life for a good cause. We might think of that. Some have minimized the, the cross to a, a piece of jewelry that we wear. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with a person having a cross if you know the significance of that cross and, and the meaning of what that cross was. But sometimes it, it comes as sort of a trend, uh, sort of a pop culture type thing that will flow through and become a something. 
Some have reduced the cross to sort of a self-helper or a pop psychology type of a, uh, a book to read to, to get help and to build our self-esteem. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that either. Um, so we need to say, well, what does it really mean to us? Well, it means that he was without sin. Christ our Savior loved us enough and he went to the cross and he gave his life for the ransom of our sins, for the ransom of us, to set us free, to drop the chains. Spurgeon said this, a priest always had, or a priest was always ordained by his sacrificial blood. So in the Old Testament, as we look at this, a priest was always ordained by sacrificial blood, cleansing water and oil that spoke of the anointing of his Holy Spirit. So Jesus also had these three witnesses to his priestly ministry. So we can look at that, the water and the blood, and the Holy Spirit during his baptism. The text of 1 John 5, 7, 8 could really read something like this. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. And, and so as we go on in the scriptures, we see 9, 9 and 10, which tells us this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. You know, we have the witness of men every day. People see what we do. They see how we respond to others. They see our actions. Okay, we have that witness. So it says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. So Jesus told us when he left, he wasn't going to leave us as orphans, but he was going to give us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to come into our life. The scriptures tell us that his spirit bears witness with our spirit. So if we're truly born again, we have the Holy Spirit in us, which testifies also of these things. It says, he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that was given of his son. Well, you can say, well, how, how in the world can we make God a liar? God is truth. There is no lie in him. And that is true. But as we, as we think of these things, making somebody a liar and them being a liar is two different things. Because somebody can tell the truth and we can say, well, but, but you're a liar by the ways that, that we present ourselves in those things. So we need to have much more confidence in, in what God proclaims in his word of Jesus Christ, even than what others proclaim. I stand up here today and I proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is our only way to heaven. I base that on scriptures, but we believe it because it's the scriptures. We don't believe it just because somebody says it. We believe it because we believe it to be truth. And so he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. When we believe in Jesus... When we believe that he is who he says he is, we receive the Spirit as an inner confirmation. Now, I don't know when I, when I prayed for salvation, I can't really explain it, but I knew something was different. It, it wasn't some magical potion. It wasn't like my whole life was cleaned up or anything. But things changed in my life. There was something that, that was dead in me that came alive. And so Romans 8.16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with the spirit of the children of God. So we have his witness in us. So in these scriptures, as we're reading these, John exposes the great sin of, of unbelief. And, and I, I want to touch on this. And I, I was reading through Spurgeon in the last few weeks, and, and I find it amazing. And he has this dialect on this very thing, which I think is, is wonderful, and I want to share some of this, because... Um, 
Nobody really intends to call God a liar. I don't think any of us really intend to do that. But when we refuse to believe in God, that's exactly what we're doing. Because God is saying, this is who Jesus is. And this is the way to me. And if we don't believe that, we're telling God you're a liar. That's not the only way. When somebody says there's another way to get to heaven, then by grace through faith in in the one and only uh, Son, Jesus Christ, when we say there's a different way, we're calling God a liar because God says that's the only way. And so the question comes is, are we calling God a liar? So Spurgeon says this, The great sin of not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is often spoken of very lightly and in a very trifling spirit. I want you to think about that when people say, well, I just don't believe that. I don't really believe in God. I don't believe that's true. And we talk about it sort of lightly. We do. Sort of like nonchalantly. And so that's what, that's what Spurgeon is saying here. In a trifling spirit. As though it were scarcely a sin at all. Yet according to my text, and according to the scripture is what he is talking about, and indeed according to the whole tenor of the scriptures, unbelief is giving of God the lie. And what can be worse? When we know what the scriptures say, when we know what God is declaring, we say, but that's not right. We're calling God a liar. So he goes on in this day, like, what if someone says, well, I want to believe, but I can't. Maybe you've met somebody like that. I want to believe, but I can't. Spurgeon says this, hearken, O unbeliever. You have said, I cannot believe, but it would be more honest if you had said, I will not believe. The mischief lies there. Your unbelief is your fault, not your misfortune. See, sometimes we say, well, I, I just I can't believe it. And like it's, it's, it's something has happened to us. No, he says, it is your fault, not your misfortune. It is a disease, but it is also a crime. It is a terrible source of misery to you, but it is justly so. For it is an atrocious offense against the word of truth. When we look at the word of God and and we see again what it says, and we say we don't believe it, it, it's really an offense against God, who has presented this truth, who has given it all to us. If one says, well, I'm trying to believe, and I'll keep on trying. Maybe we've met people like that that say, well, you know, I just try to believe. I try to wrap my mind around it. I, t- I try to do that. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. I'm going to keep going. Spurgeon says this of that. Did I not hear someone say, Ah, sir, I've been trying to believe for years. Terrible words. They make the case still worse. The talk about trying to believe is mere pretense. But whether pretense or no, let me remind you that there is no text in the Bible which says, try and believe. But it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He has proved this by his miracles. He died to save sinners. Therefore, trust him. And so I ask you today, are you believing God fully in his word? Or do you treat it like a smorgasbord and say, well, I like this, I don't like this, I can't really understand this, I don't believe this. Because we need to believe God's word in its entirety, or we call him a liar. 
rejection over time can lead to the hardening of the heart. And that's why the Bible says, really, don't quench the Spirit of God. We listen to the wrong people. We let them get in our ears. And and, and over time, our heart becomes hardened to what the truth of God is. Pretty soon we find ourselves taking a stand against what the truth of God is. And this goes on in churches today. We can see it with with things that are just happening in the church today where, oh, this is okay, God understands, and that's okay. What does God's word say? Where God's word is clear, we need to be clear. We need to stand on the truth firmly and strongly and obediently in our walk. We don't want to call good evil or evil good. We declare the word of the God. And pretty soon when we're standing against God's word, that makes us a blasphemer. We are going against what the Holy Spirit has said. Mark 3.28 says this, What hope can there be for one who persists in hearing what God says and calling him a liar? What hope is there for that person? But John tells us that we can have this assurance. He says, and this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. This is God's essential message to man, to you and I, sitting here today, that eternal life is a gift from God. There's nothing that we have done to earn it. We believe, we trust, we're obedient, we walk, we follow. He's given us that as an eternal life, as a gift to those who believe and receive Jesus Christ. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and the truth that he spoke and the the way that he came and the things that he declared. And are you walking in these? Are you living in Jesus? Because that's the evidence of eternal life, the fruit of the spirit that comes out in us. We can generate a lot of things in our life, a lot of good deeds. We can look sort of shiny and, and good at times. But living in Jesus, grafted into the vine, Christ in us, the hope of glory, him and us, us and him, and we're walking in his ways as the evidence of eternal life. And even if we already believe, we believe who Jesus is, John wants us to know that you have eternal life. There's many believers today that walk in doubt, they walk in fear. Many because they're walking in disobedience to what God would have. But he says, I want you to have this assurance so that you may continue to believe. Because Satan wants to cast doubt. So we find ourselves in a sinful situation. What do we do? Satan says, are you really a Christian? Jesus says, repent of those sins. Not just I'm sorry, but repent of those things. Turn from those things. Walk in the way that he has for you. Because John's confidence is very impressive. And I know believers whose walk is very impressive by the way that they do things. 
He wants us to know that we have this eternal life, and this eternal life is only found in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that it only comes through the salvation that comes through grace and through the faith that God has us. And we know that it all rests totally in Jesus and not in our own performance. Some of you here probably think that, you know, I need to do these things to, to, to keep my salvation, to hold on to my salvation, to, to be more saved than what I am now. There's no such thing as more saved. You're either saved or you're lost. And so he tells us these things. Because you know what? If it depends on me and I'm having a good day, I'm saved. But on a bad day, I really don't know. See, it doesn't depend on me though. It depends on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It depends on my relationship with him. It depends on do I believe, as the Bible commands, in the word of God and all that it says. It's time as Christians that we stop picking the Bible apart and that we believe it and that when we believe it, we walk in it in the obedience that God has called us to. Because if my salvation depends on what Jesus has done, then I can know. And if I'm having a bad day, I can turn to him and I can repent and seek forgiveness for those things, determine in my mind and in my actions to walk a different way. To nail those things in my life to the cross and to follow him. Do you know that you're saved? Are you walking in that assurance of salvation? Are you in your life trying to say, you know, I'm I'm trying to believe. Or I can't believe. If you're doing that, you're calling God a liar. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. As we prepare for communion today, it's a time of self-examination. It's a time where we reflect what the Lord has done in our life. Is thy heart right with God? Do you know him as your personal savior? Are you living in obedience to his word and to his way? Let us pray.